Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to This is Civity Radio Show. I'm Gina Balaria. Civity helps people in communities build a culture of respect and empathy across difference. And our interviews explore how people across the country and world are doing this in their communities. Today, we welcome Kate Chance and Amina Jandali with Islamic Networks Group, or ING. ING works around the country on education geared toward cultural literacy and mutual respect, as well as efforts to counter incidents of bigotry through building relationships and engaging communities. ING has also created the Know Your Neighbor campaign, of which Civity is a partner. So welcome. We're thrilled to have you here today. Well, thank you so much for having us. Uh, this is Kate. I'm the Interface Coordinator for Islamic Network Group. Great, Kate. Thank you so much. And hi, Amina. Welcome to you as well. Hi. Thank you for having us today. Great. So first of all, I would love to learn more about the ING, uh, what ING does across the country. Yeah, um, so I'll go ahead and jump in. Um, ING was founded in 1993, so we're going on our 25th anniversary. And we um, began that year because of the sense that there was increasing, the word Islamophobia was not really coined at that point, but anti-Muslim sentiment, and that it was important for American Muslims to kind of step up and um, identify what it means to be an American Muslim so that they're not having other people do that for them. And so our vision is really one, um, our vision statement is a world in which people of diverse backgrounds are understood and respected and their contributions valued and in which American Muslims play a vital role in promoting values of inclusion and coexistence. Mm -hmm. And in pursuit of that, our mission is to counter uh, all forms of bigotry through education and interfaith engagement working within the framework of the First Amendment, which protects religious freedom and pluralism. So education is key to uh, our mission and to the way that we operate through our various programs. That's wonderful. And now, Amina, when you say education, what does education mean as far as how are you going out and educating and connecting with people who may not understand, uh, one, anything about the Muslim faith, or two, um, may need to understand sort of what they don't need to be afraid of? Right. So we operate a, a couple of programs. Uh, one is the Islamic Speakers Bureau that goes out into schools, colleges, churches, uh, corporations, um, diverse venues, and basically talks about what it means to be an American Muslim, what are our major beliefs, uh, practices, demographics, and then we look at some of the major stereotypes, and we always incorporate time for questions and answers so that people in the audience can feel free to really um, you know, feel comfortable asking about the things that they may not understand about the faith. And, of course, right now there's, there's a lot of those. Yeah. And so we believe that education is really key to tackling prejudice because without further understanding a particular group and their belief system, it's very difficult to really get to the heart of, you know, why they have or hold these stereotypes. And we believe that the more that we understand other people, that they understand us, 
the better um, it's going to be for society in general in terms of creating a harmonious society. So that's one major program that we operate here in the Bay Area, and we also have affiliates across the country that model uh, what we do here locally. And then we also here in the San Francisco Bay Area have the Interfaith Speakers Bureau, which is made up of the five major world faiths who also go out to different venues and talk about what it means to be a Jew or a Christian or a Hindu, Buddhist, or Muslim, and then they have specific topics that they talk about. So that's another program that is, again, modeled on, on our first program. So um, we typically, in, in one year, will go and do five to 600 presentations uh, in various venues. Wow. wow, that's amazing. What are some of the common through lines that come up? Like, what is the education that needs to happen? What do people, what do you find that in general people need to know or want to know or helps draw in those connections? Well, when we're speaking in schools, it's generally in the context of what they're already studying about. Um, So it's usually in social studies classes or history classes, and in that context, they may already have studied a little bit about their religion, but they still may have, you know, misconceptions, or they may want to just understand, you know, how do Muslims pray? How do they, um, you know, live their life as a Muslim in the Bay Area? How do they, uh, you know, find the time in their life to, to do some of the things that the religion requires? So it's more kind of like a lived uh, learning experience for students. Mm-hmm. And then when we speak to adult audiences, um, you know, at the Rotary Club or in a local church, it generally is mainly to counter a lot of the stereotypes that are out there. Um, The two most common ones are around, obviously, violence and terrorism and the role of women. Mm -hmm. And we usually get different related questions in different forms uh, on those topics and, of course, um, you know, others as well. But I would say those are the top two. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And how often is the answer, well, exactly what you do you know like how often do you have to say we we do the same thing or i i imagine i imagine you know we all have very similar lived experiences and so of course there are requirements of any faith but i i'm curious to know if if there's ever been if there's if there are moments of oh yeah we do that too or oh yeah we you know and and the kids are like wow i'm wondering i'm wondering if that ever if that ever happens yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the more that people can see you as a human, can relate to some of the experiences. Um, so a lot of times other minorities in the room mm-hmm. or other religious minorities, whether it's Catholics or Jews, Hindus, Buddhists, will say, wow, that really resonated with me. That really reminded me of, of some of the things that I experienced in my life. Yeah. But also just in terms of, you know, some of the beliefs, people are surprised to, to discover that Islam actually holds very similar beliefs to at least the two Abrahamic faiths, mm-hmm. um, the beliefs in God, God, uh, angels, prophets, holy books, and afterlife, and, and what is known as God's will, mm-hmm. um, that we have a lot of respect for Jesus and Mary, um, and that the other prophets, including Moses, are named throughout the Quran, and that we have a lot of respect for all of them. So just learning that in itself is, is really an eye-opener, for, particularly for you know people who are religious in a religious setting. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's interesting, uh, you know, for as someone who grew up, I grew up uh, under the Catholic faith, and 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 learned early on, sort of the for some reason the specific commonalities and differences between Catholic Catholicism and Judaism, and where those commonalities were. But we never do, or we never did when I was growing up, think about uh, is Islam or the Mormon faith or anything like that, and how those were the same or different. And 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 so it, it really is important. 
important to to sort of let's just stop here and talk about the the, the similarities. So, what? How do students respond once you've gone in and you've you know done some of this educational work? How do you find that the students respond to um, to both of you and and the information that they've received? Uh, I don't know if Kate, you want to jump in, or if Amina, this is still something you should be. Well, as I said, they generally will have already studied about Islam, so right, they do already it, have something of a background. But you've made it a little bit more real for them, yes? But it's, yeah, bringing yeah. it to life, yeah. and especially you know, when you're talking about seventh grade students, so they have a lot of questions around, yeah. um, you know, what do you do if you can't pray? They come up with all these scenarios, <laughs> what if this or what if that? Yeah. Um, so kind of personalizing it. Um, questions around pork, why don't you eat pork? Um, what's it like to go on the hutch? So... I think really they're interested in the lived experience, and then a lot of questions, of course, about discrimination. Mm-hmm. Has anyone ever, you know, said anything to you because of your headscarf? Is it hard being a Muslim? Mm-hmm. You get a lot of those as well. So yeah. the seventh grade mind is, is definitely kind of unique. Um, yes. High schoolers might have a, a kind of a higher level of, of questioning them. As I mentioned, with the adults, it's mainly based on, you know, what they've heard about, read about right. in the media. Right. So it's more falls into the more stereotypical understandings, but... Also speaking in a house of worship, it's really amazing to see just kind of a more theological um, embrace of the whole topic beyond just, um, you know, why are Muslims so so strange? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so it really does depend on what the, the venue is and, and who's yeah. in the room and, um, you know, how their approach is to the general topic of religion, A, and, and then Islam, B. Yeah. And, and yet, oh, go ahead, Kate. Um, so I, I often work with the Interfaith Speakers Bureau, and so we're, you know, having panels in classrooms, and I think students often are really amazed at the fact that we can have five people of different religions sit down together and have a conversation. Wow. And more than that, that a lot of these panelists are good friends and spend a lot of time together. Um, so often they'll chip in for the other panelists on a different religion, and there's a lot of collaboration and dialogue amongst our speakers, and I think that students really uh, find that genuine and then also are really great at asking fantastic questions. I've had students ask the most brilliant questions, things that I'd never thought of before, um, so it's really cool to have that experience with students and to expose them to faith in a way that isn't typically portrayed in our media. Yeah, that's incredible. And, and just modeling that type of engagement for young people, especially when in the news media, and who knows at home, but definitely in the news media, all they're really seeing is uh, separation, difference, um, you know, and, and, and some of these other thoughts. And so just to sit down together and be like, yeah, it, we have these great talks, we discuss, um, and, and really showing them that is, is something that I think in this day and age is really important to model. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So can you tell, um, can you think of, I, it's funny when you were talking earlier about the seventh graders have interesting questions, immediately my mind went to the George Carlin skit about seventh graders asking the priest about God. And, and, and it's, it's, if you've never listened, I would recommend it highly, but um, you might, it might resonate with you. But, uh, but I was also wondering, like, can you think of a specific moment uh, either with a young person or an adult where um, that the interaction was special for you or it just really encapsulated why you're doing the work you do. I was wondering if you wanted to share a specific moment or two uh, with us. Um, Kate? I would say it's, it's um, as, as Kate alluded to, when you have a student who is super smart, super bright, there's usually a few in the classroom and they're just making these connections that are just leaps and bounds ahead of the rest of the class and and they're really getting it, and, and they're thinking about it in a manner that makes it very obvious they're not just thinking of this in a, you know, a very superficial way or just trying to understand 
um, beyond the stereotypes, but yeah. they're really you know, looking at you as an equal. And I think that's, mm-hmm. that is when it's like, wow, this is so great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Kate, anything, any come to your mind, a, spe- a specific instance with a person that you, that you want to sh- uh, share with us? There's um, one story I can think of. We had an interface panel in a seventh grade classroom, and um, one of the subjects that we talked about was religious extremism. And, you know, we have the five major world religions um, represented on this panel, and they're all talking about extremism within their faith traditions. And the student raises his hand and says, you know, I know that anybody can become extremist, whether they're religious or not. You know, it's not just one faith tradition. And so I want to hear what each of you would say to somebody in your faith tradition who became extreme or violent. And it was just such a fantastic and personal question that the student, you know, wants a real understanding of how faith traditions can work to um, change their community, but also just this understanding automatically that, you know, it's not just one religion that can be corrupted or, you know, one group of people. It was really fantastic to see in somebody who was, like 12 years old and we just had one conversation with. Oh my God, that's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, you know, you talk about when you when you work with uh, adult audiences or adult groups, that there it really is more about this, these questions of extremism and these questions of, of fear. And I'm wondering, you know, how do you engage with adults? And actually, before we get to there, who are the adults in the room? Because I imagine... Is this a self-selecting group, or is this like they're like I'm interested, I'm already empathetic, or is this? Are there people in the room who walk in with those fears and concerns and stereotypes? Uh, so I'm so I'm first of all uh, would love to know who's in the room on the when you work with adults, and then talk a little bit about how you're engaging with them. I mean, it really depends on what the venue is. It could be a class where they're studying mm-hmm. Islam or comparative religions, and in that sense, they're a little more educated and probably going to dig a little deeper, but it could also be the Rotary Club where people ah. don't know a lot about Islam other than what they see in the news, um, and so it, it, they are going to have more of the stereotypes, um, or it could be a church or a temple where there's some common religious understanding, so they're going to relate to religion um, in, a, in a different way than in the Rotary Club, mm-hmm. but they still might have a lot of stereotypes that yeah. a regular person might have. So it really does depend on the venue, and then of course if you're talking in a in a senior uh, center with older people, they, you know, may have never met a Muslim in their life, as opposed to young people. If you're talking to young people, they generally do have Muslim friends at this point, you know, living in the Bay Area, and so there's just more of a familiarity, um, at least with, you know, someone who is Muslim, not necessarily with the religion per se. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we do deal with diverse audiences. I would say generally most of the people who come at least recently are, are, are supportive mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because of all of the events that have been happening. There will be sometimes a couple people in the audience, if it's a, it's kind of a public venue, who are coming there just to heckle or to mm-hmm. make a point. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, we don't experience that very often, to be honest. That's it's, wonderful. it's mostly people who want to be supportive, who want to have a better understanding, and they think, you know... They need to educate themselves first before really turning around and educating other people. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and and I, I just curious. I know it doesn't happen that often. Yeah, but I how, add to that. Oh yeah, Kate, do you want to um, add to that before I, I jump in? I would agree. Um, I think that we have a really um, we have a variety of people who request our panels. Um, last year, we had crisis line co- our counselors who 
reach out to us for a better understanding of the faith tradition so that if somebody calls them in crisis, they'll know how to have conversation with them. Um, we've spoken with Holocaust survivors. Uh, we've spoken with a lot of different groups of people. And so you never really know what the audience, um, what their expectations are or what their knowledge of Islam or these other faith traditions is before the presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least with the Interfaith Speakers Bureau, I think people in the audience are generally looking to be in an environment where they're learning and engaging with new material. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, uh, what, and again, I recognize this doesn't happen that often, so we don't have to spend too much time on this, but when there is someone in the room who's there to heckle or who's there to, to not listen, I'm wondering, how does the audience respond? How do you respond? Has, that ever, has there ever been a case where that person has come around um, just in, in, in those rare moments when that does take place? Um, I was speaking at um, an event, and the very first question I got was from somebody whose sister had been killed by Boko Haram, and I was like, whoa, (laughs) you're obviously not expecting something like that, and so I I had expressed my sympathy and really um, show understanding. I understand why you're angry. I understand why you're viewing Muslims as the enemy, and, and then just proceed from there. Wow, that is extremely powerful, and we don't know where people are coming from, so... It's uh, that was amazing of you to just sort of take it in and acknowledge it and then move, you know, move forward with that information to help connect. Um, I want to thank you both for being here today. We've been speaking with Kate Chance and Amina Jandali with the Islamic Networks Group or ING. ING works around the country on education geared toward cultural literacy and mutual respect as well as efforts to counter incidents of bigotry through building relationships and engaging in communities. ING has also created the Know Your Neighbor campaign, of which Civity is a partner. For more about the Islamic Networks Group and Know Your Neighbor, go to ing.org. And you have been listening to This is Civity Radio Show. Civity helps people in communities build a culture of respect and empathy across difference, and our interviews explore how people across the country and world are doing this in their communities. You've been listening to This is Civity Radio Show. I'm Gina Valeria. Join us again. Thank you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.